As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine, episode 125. Wow. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. Thank you for being here. And today I want to go back and talk a little bit about my checkered radio career. When I got out of college, I became a top 40 disc jockey. You know, back in those days, there actually was radio and it used to be fun. Of course, Disc jockeys would bounce around from station to station, but it was a pretty wild time, and I had a few crazy adventures along the way. So that is what I'm going to talk about this week as we stagger down memory lane and take a look at my checkered Erzots radio career this week on Hollywood and Levine. Okay, the first story I'm going to share is how I got a chance to fill in for Wolfman Jack on XERB. Now, to back up a little bit, it's the mid-60s, and I'm a teenager in Los Angeles, and I'm listening to all the top 40 radio stations, and I'm tuning around the dial one night, and I find this bizarre station basically playing blues records, And this guy on the air with an outer-worldly voice, Oh, my God, baby, it's the wolf, man. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And all of the commercials are for these weird products like Mr. Satisfy, which are pills that are supposed to keep you erect longer. I mean, these are the kind of things that they were selling on the Wolfman Jack show. And this was a radio station out of Mexico at 1090 called XERB. And I was fascinated by this station and nobody else I knew knew anything about this. You know, I'd ask friends, and I asked people in high school, and, you know, and then I would start doing Wolfman Jack impressions. They have no fucking idea what the heck I was talking about. But uh, I loved this guy. And at the time, this was now 1969, and I'm in college, and I'm involved in the campus radio station at UCLA, and all of those guys knew of Wolfman Jack. And the facilities, the station itself was on Sunset Boulevard in the Sunset Strip. So every so often, like on a Friday night, I would go down to XERB and I would knock on the door and this Jewish guy with a little mustache and beard would peek out and say, yeah, and I would say, uh, you know, I, is Wolfman Jack there? Uh, I, I want to see Wolfman Jack. This is exactly what you saw on American Graffiti, except 
this was real. Now, American Graffiti was supposed to take place like in Modesto, and yet the radio station was XERB, and if a station starts with a call letter X, it means it's in Mexico. So there's no way that XERB is going to be in Modesto, California. But they would send the tapes down to Mexico. It was like in Rosarita Beach, Mexico, just across the border. And in the U.S., there is a limit on the wattage that a radio station can have. The most that a radio station, an AM station could have is 50,000 watts. But that's in the United States, okay? And 50,000 watts with a, a good signal can go a long, long way. Well, XCRB had like 150,000 watts. They were in Mexico, so they didn't give a shit about the FCC. And as a result, the signal went all the way up into Canada. It just boomed into Canada and all across the Pacific Northwest. There was another station that Wolfman Jack was at prior to XERB, and that was a station across the border from El Paso called XERF, and that too had this gigunda signal that covered like 17 states. The entire midsection of the United States all the way up into Canada could get XERF. And at one time, the Mexican government tried to shut it down and there was like a, a standoff. I mean, you know, there were guys uh, shooting at the radio station. It was that kind of thing. But uh, by 1969, Wolfman Jack is in Los Angeles, and he let me in. And it turns out he's this Jewish guy from Brooklyn named Bob Smith. And I would hang out with him a little bit. And so we kind of got to know each other. Uh, not really good friends, but, you know, I was a radio geek, and he, he knew me on site, and, and he knew my name. So now you flash forward a few years, and Wolfman Jack becomes sort of a sensation because of American Graffiti, which was 1973. And by then, he had really become much more mainstream. He wasn't playing blues so much as playing Top 40 and Oldies and that type of thing. And again, he would record his show in Los Angeles and then put it on a bus and send it down to Mexico where they would then play the show. So I get a call from XCRB asking if I could fill in for Wolfman Jack for a couple of weeks that he had recommended me. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I would do was go down to the radio station. And by then, the radio station was no longer on Sunset Boulevard. It was in Hollywood, a couple of crappy offices above a bowling alley in Hollywood. And I would have to come in at like 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I would record like five hours. And then I would put 
the tapes. They were big reel-to-reel tapes. And I would put them in these packing crates that were already addressed and paid for. And then I would get in my car and I would drive down to the Greyhound bus station on El Centro and give it to the guy and they would put it on the bus to Chula Vista and away it would go. And at 6.30, somebody would meet the bus in San Diego and take the tapes across the border. And at 9 o'clock that night, I was on the air in 19 different states and 14 countries, whatever. I was filling in for Wolfman Jack. And that was so weird to be driving around listening to me filling in for the Wolfman. And I was getting calls from friends in Portland and Denver and Seattle and all kinds of places going, this is so weird. What are you doing filling in for Wolfman Jack? But uh, that was my, my one real brush with stardom in terms of radio. More in a moment, but first a word about HoneyBook. One of the great things about the Internet is that anybody can start his own business. And if you're a creative person, you have some idea, you can just launch your own website and your own business. That's the good news. And the bad news is, if you're a creative person like me, you just hate all of the administrative tasks. Well, that is where HoneyBook comes in very handy. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you control your client communications, your bookings, contracts, invoices, all in one place. And you can even use HoneyBook to consolidate the services that you already use, like QuickBooks and Google Suite and MailChimp. It is your business just better with HoneyBook. And I want to introduce it to you And I have a delightful introductory offer. If you just go to honeybook.com and you type in the promo code Hollywood, you will get 50% off your first year. That's right. This is not just, you know, try it for a month or here's three free meals. No, this is 50% off your first year year. You can pretty well get your business launched in a year's time. So just go to honeybook.com and type in the promo code Hollywood. Again, that's honeybook.com, promo code Hollywood, and good luck with your business. Beaver, Cleaver, 1260 KYA. Let's see, a couple of other bizarre stories that happened to me along the way. 1974, I'm at KYA in San Francisco, and our station was pretty much in the heart of San Francisco. We were right under the Mark Hopkins Hotel, right by the Fairmont Hotel, right off of California Street. We were at uh, Mason and Pine, but I lived in the Marina District, and I would oftentimes take a cable car to work. I mean, how cool is that? So my shift at KYA was 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning. And this was the year that Patty Hearst had been kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. And they would communicate with the world by sending a communique 
to one of the local radio or TV stations. And so one night, I'm on the air, and it's about 12 o'clock, 12.15, and I get a call on the request line. The guy says, this is the Symbionese Liberation Army. Check the front door. And then he hung up. And I'm like, what? So I put on a record, and I went to the front door. We had our own building, but we were pretty isolated. And sure enough, there was an envelope sitting at the front door. So I brought the envelope in. What do you do? Well, I called the general manager of the radio station, and he loved being woken up at 12.30 in the morning. Like, what? And I said, I have some envelope from the Symbionese Liberation Army regarding Patty Hearst. This was like a national story, Patty Hearst. He said, okay, just, just do your show. And I am, you know, I'm, uh, hey, there's Bo Donaldson in the Haywoods and Billy Don't Be a Hero. Coming up next, The Night Chicago Died by Paper Lace. You know, I'm just trying to, like, you know, maintain my show. Ten minutes later, knock at the door. General manager says, you're going to be visited by the FBI. Let them in. Okay. So, again, I go down to the front door, and now there are... 15, 20 FBI agents, dogs. I mean, they're just swirling through the radio station, just doing whatever they can. And like one guy is sitting in the booth with me and he is going to take the calls because he figures, well, they might call back. And I said, I really don't think they're going to call back. And he says, no, no, I, I I, will take the calls. So I'm like, okay. So he's taking the calls. And, of course, every call is, could you play Band on the Run? Could you play Midnight at the Oasis? Could you play Billy Don't Be a Hero? So I've got an FBI agent who is basically serving as my phone guy. <laughs> I said, well, write down the request, would you? You know, make yourself useful. So, uh, and our engineer was this guy we used to call Super Harlow. He's a lovely guy. At the time, he was probably in his 60s, and he weighed 300 pounds. And, of course, he's just sitting in a control room, and the only one in the station besides Super Harlow was me. So nobody was going to see him, of course. So... To be more comfortable, he would strip down to his underwear. So he would have his boxer shorts and undershirt. And so now this guy is sitting in the control room and suddenly 15 guys in suits storm the station and barge into his control room. And there he is with his gutkas out. Yeah. So uh, that was a, a rather uh, eventful night on KYA. And the Symbionese Liberation Army would send these communiques basically saying uh, you have to open up 
food banks for people and you have to do this and you have to do that. They made all of these strange demands. And, of course, it wound up in a, um, in a gunfight in Los Angeles. My first radio job was at KERN in Bakersfield. And that was a tiny little radio station. That was really more like what you saw on American Graffiti. It was this tiny little house in a big field with radio towers. And a block away was a residential area, but this little shack sat all alone. And I was on the radio Saturday night from 6 to midnight. And I'm doing my show, and again, there's nobody around. And one night, I hear the doorbell ring. It's about 9.30 at night. And so, like an idiot, I just go to the front door and answer it. There are 25 Hell's Angels. Motorcycles all revving up, you know, and they're all in leather and, you know, the jackets and the whole thing. It's like the scariest motherfuckers you've ever seen. And there they are. And here I am, you know, this little Jewish disc jockey. Uh, Can I help you, fellas? And, uh, And the guy goes, would you play Sweet Cream Lady? by the box tops. And I said, uh, uh, well, you know, it's not really in our form. Yes, yes, of course, absolutely. Um, I'll go and, and, and I'll, I'll find that for you. You bet. And so I closed the door. They let me live. And I went back into the record library just praying that we had a copy of Sweet Cream Ladies by uh, the box tops. And we did. And so I immediately played it. It's like I didn't care if the program director was going to call me and go, what the hell is that? That's not on our playlist. No, I played Sweet Cream Ladies by The Box Top. And uh, now it's about a half hour later and the doorbell rings. Uh, so I go out, like, what do they want now? And they handed me a beer and thanked me for playing Sweet Cream Ladies by the Box Tops. I was really, really relieved. Next week, knock on the door again, and it was, it was them. Hey, man, would you play Sweet Cream Ladies by the Box Tops? I do not know why that was the song of choice to the Bakersfield Hells Angels, but it was. And I had the record now. I mean, it was in my briefcase. Yeah, I was going to hold on to that record till I was 90. And so I said, yeah, yeah. And they said, uh, when are you going to play it? And I said, well, when do you want me to play it? And they said, well, what about 10 o'clock? And I said, okay, I'll play the record at 10 o'clock, which I did. I played it at 10 o'clock, and at 10.15, knock at the door, there they were, handing me a beer. Well, the next week, I just 
played that record Saturday night at 10 o'clock, and I did that every single Saturday night, and the Hells Angels were by with their beer between 10.15 and 10.30. Cream ladies, forward march, the world owes you a living. Sweet cream ladies, do your part, think of what you're giving. That's part of the story. Now, the second part of the story is Halloween. Because Halloween in small towns like Bakersfield is a chance to not only go trick-or-treating, but to egg cars, to trash cars, to be as destructive as you possibly can. And I'm thinking... Here's my little 1966 Mustang that's sitting alone in a tiny parking lot, this giant lot which isn't lit, so anyone could come in there and they could just destroy my car and there was nothing I could do. Oh my God, what I would have killed for to have Uber back in those days. No. So I had my car, and Halloween was Saturday night. And I get back to my car at midnight when I get off the air, and my car is pristine. No one has touched my car. So I get in my car, and I start driving away, and I start driving through the neighborhood, and I see that... Every other car on the street is trashed, is egged, toilet paper, whatever, spilled vomit, whatever. Um, Everything is trashed except my car. And you know why? Because obviously word got out in the neighborhood 
that I was friends with the Hell's Angels. So they were not going to fuck with me. Okay, one other final story. And this is how I was almost deported from Canada. Uh, This is 1974 now. And I get a job working at WDRQ in Detroit. I'm on the air from 6 to 10. And the program director who hired me had been a disc jockey in Los Angeles. And he had just been hired and made a couple of changes at the station. The first change was to hire me. And meanwhile, his car was being sent from Los Angeles. His girlfriend had packed up his car and there was somebody who was going to drive it out to Detroit. So I'm there like about a week, week and a half and I get off the air at 10 o'clock one night and the program director's car had just arrived that day and he said to me, hey, want to go to Canada? And I said, yeah, sure. That'll be fun because Windsor, Canada is right over the river from Detroit. So he got in his car and we were cruising around Windsor. We went to a bar in Windsor. There's a big radio station that was our competition, CKLW. We went and tried to get into CKLW and were unsuccessful and We just had a good old time, and about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, we drove back to Detroit, and that was it. It was really a nice night. So the next night, I'm on the radio again, and the program director comes in at 10 o'clock when I get off the air and says, hey, you want to go to Canada again? And I said, no, you know, I'm I'm really tired. Um, I think I'll skip it tonight, so... You go to Canada. Like, okay. And uh, I go back. I'm still staying at a hotel. I've only been there like a couple of weeks. And 4 o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. And it's the program director. He's in jail in Canada. What happened was this. He was like this long-haired hippie freak. We were all long-haired hippie freaks back in 1974. So he's going over the border from Canada back into the U.S. And because he's a long-haired hippie, they decided to stop him at the border and search his car. And they open the trunk. And unbeknownst to him, when his girlfriend packed up the car, she also... (laughs) packed in a nice big bag of marijuana. So here he is basically smuggling drugs over the border from Canada to the United States. So he calls and he goes, uh, because he also was on the air from 10 to 2. And he said, uh, oh, could you, could you do my show uh, this morning? And I said, yeah, well, what's up? And he goes, uh, I'm, I'm in jail in Canada. Said, what? And uh, he says, don't tell anybody, you know, I'll get fired. And I go, okay. So I just filled in and, and did his show and he wired his parents for money and they got him out and eventually he was deported from Canada. Now, 
if I had been in the car with him, I would have suffered the same fate. That would have been a fun call to my parents <laughs> in Los Angeles. Uh, hey, listen, uh, I need uh, $5,000 for bail. I'm in prison in Canada for smuggling drugs over the border. Yeah, that would have been nice. And it would have also derailed any baseball announcing career I had. Because remember, I was with the Baltimore Orioles and we would go up and play the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, it would be a little bit difficult to say to the management of the Orioles and the radio station, gee, guys, um, I really can't make the Toronto trip um, because I'm banned from Canada. So that was quite a close call. And those are just a, a few of the bizarre things that happened to me as a top 40 disc jockey. And I'm sure if you talk to any top 40 DJ, they're going to have similar bizarre, wacky stories. It was really a, a wild time back then. And again, I just, I lamented. Radio used to be a lot of fun back then. And that will do it for this week. Again, our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, Bruce and Jason Miller, Howard Hoffman, and John Wolfer. If you want to write me, I will write you back. Just email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. Follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine, Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hollywood.